Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game. Headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. You're listening to Comedy Central. Coming to you from New York City, the only city in America, it's The Daily Show. Tonight, Ukraine borrows the missile. Senator Chris Murphy and Akweke Amazi. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Take a seat. And first things first, can I just say happy Pride Month, everybody. Welcome to it. You know what that means for the rest of June. All crimes are legal for gay people. Woohoo! Yeah, I studied, I studied. All right, we've got a really great show for you tonight. We'll be talking about the battle to steal Ukraine. We're going to be talking about the battle to steal the next election and the battle to steal Star Wars back from black people. Plus, <laughs> Senator Chris Murphy is joining us from Hartford, Connecticut to tell us which Republicans are finally getting on board with gun control. So, let's do this, people. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. <laughs> Let's kick things off with the ongoing Russian war with Ukraine. Or as the Russian media says, there is no war, but we are also winning it. (laughs) Ever since Vladimir Putin decided to aggressively crash on his neighboring country's couch, Ukraine has been asking America for bigger and better weapons to help them defend themselves. Now, usually, when you ask America to send you weapons, they'll send them quicker than a restaurant that pre-cooks the food in the morning and then just reheats it when you order it at night. But... Because America and the rest of the world is terrified of starting World War III, rightfully so, they've had to find ways to support Ukraine without being accused of attacking Russia. And so just today, President Biden announced this. This morning, President Biden has announced the U.S. will send another $700 million worth of weapons, defense systems, to the Ukrainian military. Among the newly provided weaponry is the multiple launch rocket system, uh, which is a highly capable long-range system. This has been the subject of debate inside the Biden administration 
for weeks now whether or not to provide Ukraine with these more advanced, longer-range weapon systems, concerns uh, within the administration that Russia might view this as a provocative step, giving Ukraine the ability to strike within Russian territory. That's why the United States actually sought assurances and secured those assurances from Ukraine that they would not use these, ru- these rocket systems to strike Russian targets on Russian territory. Yeah, that's right. Biden made Ukraine promise that they will only use the rockets in Ukrainian territory. They will not use them in Russia. Yeah, so he's basically giving them advanced rockets, like a dad gives his teenager a credit card. He's like, (laughs) now remember what I told you, this is only for gas, groceries, and the strip club. No textbooks this time. (laughs) I don't wanna see that charge again. But this is major help though, $700 million. That's a ton of rockets. Or maybe it's like 10 rockets. (laughs) I never know with military equipment. Like, no, you you never know how much anything costs, you know? It's like when someone tells me they spent $100 at Sephora. I have no idea if that's like one face cream or enough (laughs) eye glitter for a whole season of euphoria. I don't know how much it is. (laughs) And look, I get that America is trying to find the balance between helping Ukraine and triggering its own war with Russia, but still, this is putting Ukraine in a tough spot. Because who knows how easy these missiles are to use? You know, I don't want us to be in World War III just because some Ukrainian soldier entered the distance in kilometers when it was supposed to be in miles. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's like, oh, 1.6, I meant to put two. (laughs) But I will say, this is good for Ukraine to defend themselves. And this is good for Russia to know they can't just push other countries around. And you know who this is most exciting for? American missiles. Yeah. What a different experience this is gonna be for them. I'm so excited. Oh, I'm so excited to be going overseas for the first time. And the best part is I've been invited. Wow. Because my dad went to Iraq, but he wasn't invited. And my grandfather, he went to Vietnam. And boy, did they not want him there. But look at me. I got invited to Ukraine. I'm a missile going to Ukraine. They invited me. I'm a good missile in my family. My new one-man show, Missile in Ukraine, will be debuting next week. You guys can join in. Thanks for watching. All right, let's move on. Disney released a new Star Wars show on their streaming platform, Disney Plus, which I've heard is good, but not as good as Paramount Plus. Now, this Star Wars show is not the one about the Mandalorian, and it's not the one about Boba Fett. No, this one is about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the galaxy's most powerful hobo. And anyone can see where this is going, right? It's just like show after show on Disney. You see what they're doing, and you get it. Their plan is to release a show about every character in Star Wars. It's genius, make a ton of money. Personally, I can't wait for the Jabba the Hutt sitcom. (laughs) (laughs) What? I know she broke your heart, Jabba, but you gotta start dating again. Dude, chaining her up and putting her in a gold bikini doesn't count as a date, silly. (laughs) (laughs) That show's also premiering next week. Anyway, (laughs) the Obi-Wan Kenobi show is introducing a lot of new characters to the Star Wars franchise, but there is one character in particular who isn't getting the warmest welcome from the fans. 
This morning, Obi-Wan Kenobi himself putting his force behind co-star Moses Ingram Where is after social media users launched racist attacks against her after her debut in the Jedi Knight's new series. She brings so much to the series, she brings so much to the franchise, and it just sickened me to my stomach to hear that this had been happening. We stand with Moses, we love Moses, and if you're sending her bullying messages, you're no Star Wars fan in my mind. Moses sharing she had received hundreds of racist messages following the series premiere. There's nothing anybody can do to stop this hate. I think the thing that bothers me is that like sort of this feeling that I've had inside of myself which no one has told me, but this feeling of like, I just gotta shut up and take it. And I'm not built like that. Neither should you be. No one should have to just shut up and take racism. I agree with that. Uh, especially in Star Wars. Guys, like, what is this? What is this? You racist in Star Wars? Like, from the very beginning, this has been a series where no one thinks twice if Harrison Ford is best friends with a giant dog bear, <laughs> or if a brother and sister wanna smash. No one complains about that. <laughs> They're not getting death threats. I'm so tired of fans attacking black people in Star Wars when there are so many other races and species they could be bigoted against. Think about it. You could hate everyone. Go on a rant about the creepy Twi'leks, you know, or the greedy Jawas. There are so many more opportunities for racism than just black people. Mix it up. Broaden your horizons. You know, or as the Ewoks say, you know? <laughs> Gotta think bigger. It really is. Just get out there. And you know, it's really great that Ewan McGregor made a video supporting his co-star, but I think Star Wars needs to come back even harder at the racists, really make them suffer. You should give Princess Leia a new black boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's gonna be a dope scene. He's gonna come back in and be like, hey, yo, Leia, I got the plans for the Death Star. We gonna f tonight. All right, finally, let's talk about families. You know, one of the best parts about having a family is that you have people to blame in therapy for why you haven't succeeded in life. And, <laughs> and also, you have people who will continue your lineage deep into the plastic bag global warming apocalypse. Now, there are a few cultures who take family more seriously than Indian people. But as this next story shows, some of them might be taking it a little too seriously. All right, let's take a quick peek at what's trending right now. An unusual lawsuit in India. Parents are suing their only son for not giving them a grandchild. Sajeev and Sadaya Prasad say that they've done their part. They paid for their son's pilot training, a lavish wedding, and even a honeymoon. And they say that they've waited six years for a grandchild, and now they have filed a lawsuit saying that if their son and daughter-in-law don't give them a grandchild within a year, they owe the parents 50 million rupees which is equivalent to $675,000. Damn! <laughs> Damn, this is wild. They're suing their son for not giving them a grandchild. Being parents is so weird. You spend the first 18 years doing everything you can to stop your kids from having sex. <laughs> and then as soon as they grow up, you turn into frat bros. Yo, you gotta get laid, dude! <laughs> and don't use a condom either. That shit's for losers! As weird as it is, part of me sees where these parents are coming from, though. I mean, the only reason you have kids is so that you can get grandchildren. 
Yeah, let's be honest, nobody wants to be a parent. You know, it's just what you have to do to become a grandparent. <laughs> the name is in it, it's grand, it's better. Yeah, and also grandkids and grandparents are on the same page. Of course, grandparents want to be grandparents, you know? They're the same thing. They both love telling long and pointless stories. <laughs> they have so many of the same life experiences. She's like, hey, Grandpa, I walked it in the park, and I saw a puppy, and I pooped it in my pants. Like, wow, same here, kiddo. <laughs> but look, if these parents really want grandkids, I don't know if a lawsuit is really gonna help make that happen, especially with like a year. You've given them a year. You realize every time now their son has sex, He's thinking about his parents. <laughs> they did this, not me. And that lawsuit is definitely gonna help his dirty talk. Can you imagine this poor Indian guy is gonna be in his bedroom, he's just like, do you like that, do you like that? You like the way I'm trying to avoid paying $675,000 to my parents? This is a 50 million rupee pump right here, 50 million rupee. How would you do that? All right, that's it for the headlines, but before we go, let's check in on traffic with our very own Roy Wood Jr., everybody! Yeah. What's up, man? How you been, man? What's going on, Roy? What is happening in the traffic, man? Hey, man, you know, I'm like a pigeon at the bakery just trying to get his bread up. It is what it is. A uh, quick look at the roads now. As you can see, the northbound 770 starting to clear up. We had a little bit of a disruption a little bit earlier. Tractor trail overturned some onlooker wait, delays. Wait, Roy, Roy, you're actually doing the traffic? Yeah, yeah, I've been going to therapy, man. I figured, like, she told me to be a vessel of positivity to people within my circle. And, and the karma would be reciprocal. So, you know, I've come out here before and we go back and forth and yeah, I don't want that. Yeah, because you never want to do, I say do the travel, and then you're like, nah, I don't want to do the travel. Yeah, and, right. and then you're like, then you want to talk about like the things I'm talking about, but this is great, you're doing that now. Yeah, I'm mean, just doing the This is therapy? Yeah, that's My man, look at, this is growth. Real quick. I'm glad you're not jumping in. Let's, what's the traffic? About Ukraine, real quick. Let me just say something. <laughs> just, just real quick about Ukraine, the, the, the Russia thing. Like, yeah. I know we send in Ukraine the, the, the weapons and we send in money, but the issue, bro, is that th that ain't what the Russians respect. We gotta get their respect. We gotta get the respect of the Russians. And the only thing, some people only respect crazy. So you gotta be crazy. It ain't enough just to send them a rocket. The United States got to go over there and just buck up a couple shots in the air just to let them know what we could do if we wanted to. Just buck, buck, buck. <laughs> just, a couple, just shoot a couple rockets and missiles in the air and then they be like, all right, they crazy, let's leave. Cause that's, that's, that's how you handle stuff in the streets, man. You put your 10 toes on the ground and you go bop, bop. That's what you do in the streets. I, I'm sorry, what, what streets are these that you're talking about? Like North Korea, like North Korea, right? <laughs> Don't do that with me. Does anybody ran up in North Korea? Anybody ran up in North Korea? Nobody you know ran why? up in North Korea. Because every true. two, three months, North Korea pop, pop, pop. They shoot a rocket up in the air for no reason. That's what you got to do, dog. That's the streets, man. It's like boys in the hood. Did you ever see boys in the hood? Yeah, yeah I did. It's, that's what the Russian, Ukraine, that's what the United States got to be. We got to be like Ice Cube. Like, all right, you remember boys in the hood. Ricky got bumped into by the gangbangers, and the gangbangers was getting ready to beat up Ricky, and then Ice Cube stepped up and was like, we got a problem here? We got a problem here? That's what America, it'd be a missile. It'd be a missile right here on You got a problem? What you want to do? And then Russia be like, all right, let's go on back and drink some vodka. That's how everything works. That's a, that's a novel way to solve. All right, so, so, so what's happening in the, uh, in the traffic there, Roy? Them kids should countersue their parents. <laughs> they, I mean, get, they, but okay. they, they should count. Cause how are you going to sue me 
for not having a kid, I should be able to, if you can sue me for not having a kid, I should be able to sue you for having a kid. I didn't consent to being conceived. <laughs> Therefore, I want some money. I just don't think that's right. And th- that behavior from the parents anyway, that come from parents who ain't scared of their kids. You're, you're, at, at a certain point, your parents are supposed to be scared of you. Your parents, you the child, yes, parents you, supposed to be scared of you? Yeah, you stronger, you faster. Your parents can't be behaving like that. <laughs> that's why every time I go back to Alabama, I go home, visit my mama, I turn on one of them murder forensic shows where they kill the parents, and then I just look at them. <laughs> just to let her know I got some ideas up in there. <laughs> gonna scold me into having a child. You're gonna scold me into having a child. Scolding don't work. Everybody know that scolding don't work. It's like in Boys in the Hood. Did you see Boys in the Hood? What Doughboy's mama scolded him. She said, don't you go to that store and go steal some stuff and what Doughboy do? End up dead two weeks after Ricky. We, we got enough time left. Do we even have no, any time? No, we, we don't. We don't. We had the time, and then, I mean, we basically watched Boys in the Hood. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know what? I'm glad, I'm glad you've been going to therapy. That's been helping. Roy Wood Jr., everybody. Yeah, it's thank, been you, good. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. When we come back, Senator Chris Murphy is joining us on the show. You don't want to miss it. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. guest is Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. He represented Newtown when the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre occurred a decade ago. And following the devastating school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, he begged his colleagues to act. Why do you go through all the hassle of getting this job, of putting yourself in a position of authority, if your answer is that as this slaughter increases, as our kids run for their lives, we do nothing What are we doing? Why are you here? If not to solve a problem as existential as this. Joining us live now from Hartford, Connecticut, please welcome Senator Chris Murphy to The Daily Show. Senator Murphy, it it must feel at some point uh, like you, you are, you know, going up against an immovable force. It must feel at some point like you're engaging in a conversation that seems to go around and around in circles. But it seems like in and around this time, there is some movement, there are some Republicans who have said, you know what, maybe there is something we should be doing, even if it is not the perfect solution. Let's, let's jump straight into that and talk about what you've seen in terms of a bipartisan move to change what gun safety should be in America. Well, uh, Trevor, thanks for having me on. And it it does feel um, often like deja vu repeating itself. 
um, 10 years I've been at this, um, the American public has made up their mind. There's nothing in this country that's as popular as changing the gun laws to make our kids safer. 90% of Americans support things like making sure that everybody has to go through a background check before they buy a gun. Um, but we run up against this brick wall, which is the power of the gun industry and the gun lobby. But you're right. It does feel different this time. Um, I just got off the phone, off a Zoom call with um, about uh, 10 or 12 Republicans and Democrats that are trying to pass something that will save lives, not do everything, but try to uh, break this log jam. And I think it's because of the you know, very unique cataclysmic nature of this last mass shooting, but also because over the last 10 years, you know, we've built an anti-gun violence movement that is powerful, that has just as many members and just as much money as the NRA and the gun lobby has, and that has started to have an impact. So I don't know whether this is going to succeed. I, I've been, you know, Charlie Brown kicking a football that gets pulled out from under me uh, over and over again enough times to know that maybe this won't turn out differently. But um, I owe it to the families in Texas, the families in my state, in Sandy Hook, to give it a try. What seems to be the holdup? What are some of the internal conversations that you're having? You, you know, without betraying anybody's trust, what are the sticking points? Because if, if, if so many Americans, if such a large percentage is in support of many of these common sense measures, why then do their representatives not seem able to put those things into effect? Well, right now, this is a problem only inside the Republican Party. Every single Democrat in the Senate would support things like expanded background checks. And, and the reason that it's a problem in the Republican Party is that um, to win a Republican primary today, a lot of my colleagues think that you need the endorsement of the uh, gun lobby, not, not just because of the money that comes from groups like the NRA, but because um, you know associating yourself with the gun industry has become kind of a proxy for a broader set of conservative values. And so we've got to solve that problem for Republicans. We've got to find another way for them to demonstrate how conservative they are without having to do the bidding of a of an industry that is supported by only 10% of their constituents. But that's starting to change because now a lot of Republicans are starting to see that if they vote for things, um, you know, like restrictions on um, uh, assault weapons, they actually will be rewarded by larger numbers of their constituents than ever before that support these things. So I think the political calculations of some of my colleagues are beginning to change, but it's slow. You know, for decades, they were told you can never, ever beat the gun lobby uh, in an election. That's not true anymore, but it takes a little while for that lesson to be learned. Let's talk about some of the concrete steps then you're looking to take. You know, every mass shooting in America is followed very promptly by people saying, this wouldn't be solved by that solution. This solution wouldn't solve that problem. And it becomes a chicken and the egg scenario that never seems to end. What are some of the concrete measures that you can take now to change some of the gun laws in America to make the country safer, at least, if not perfect? Yeah, and, and I think it's really important to remember that there's a mass slaughter in this country every single day. Uh, I, I get it. There's good reason why this country pays more attention after um, a, a, a catastrophe like Uvalde. But uh, there's 110, 120 people every single day who die from guns. And in fact, since Uvalde, there's been 18 mass shootings in the United States. Now it was four people, 10 people, 12 people, not enough to get the headlines, but there's a crisis every single day. What are we talking about? Red flag laws. These are the laws that allow you to take guns away temporarily from kids like this guy in Uvalde who is sh showing signs uh, of doing something disastrous. We're talking about strengthening our background check system. We're not going to get all the way to universal background checks, but making sure that more gun sales come with these background checks. 
Um, we're talking about um, money for community anti-violence initiatives, trying to wrap services around at-risk kids, especially in our cities um, where poverty also often leads to violence. Um, that could make a big uh, impact as well. So it's not everything I want, but it would be the most significant set of gun reforms in really 30 years, and we're closer than ever to getting it done. There are many um, people who voted for Democrats who I think would sometimes look enviously at what Republicans are able to do despite, despite you know, their setbacks. You know, we've seen what Mitch McConnell has been able to do with the Supreme Court. We've seen what Republicans have been able to do with abortion and, and restricting it around the country. Um, do, do you ever consider these options? Do you ever think to yourself, oh, man, we should also be looking at ways to use the tools and the mechanisms that are present to us in America to get something done? Or, or, or is there a reason that you don't take that approach? Well, right now, we have a majority in the House, the Senate, that support expanding background checks to every gun sale, which would probably save the most lives. We have a president who will sign that bill. The problem is the rules of the Senate right now require you to get 60 votes, not 50 votes, in order to pass a, a bill like that. So for the American people, it's frustrating, right? Because they did their job. They put majorities in the House, the Senate, a president of the White House who support where they support expanded uh, protections when it comes to our nation's kids and the safety of our communities. But the rules of the Senate stand in the way. Now, when Mitch McConnell wanted to get conservatives on the Supreme Court uh, to outlaw abortion, he changed the rules of the Senate. Uh, but right now, we are a few votes shy in the Democratic caucus of changing the rules now that we're in charge. So yes, I, I, I don't think we should deliberately adopt the policies of Mitch McConnell, but I do think that when we have power, um, you know, when the voters have given us power, we should listen to them um, and do what the majority of Americans want us to do. Well, I'm sure most Americans would hope, in fact, all, that you're not Charlie Brown this time, the ball doesn't get taken away and something actually gets done. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and uh, we hope to see you again. Thanks. We'll be right back. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To the Show. My next guest tonight is an award-winning best-selling author. They're here to talk about their new novel, You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty, and their memoir, Dear Centuron, which will be available soon in paperback. Please welcome Akweke Emezi. Akweke Emezi, welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you for having me. It, I feel like I've met you before. It's so weird. <laughs> we have like this energy between us. It's, uh, it's, there's something about it. Um, I shouldn't just welcome you to The Daily Show. I should also say congratulations on being not just one of the most prolific writers, but one of the most celebrated prolific writers. You have written four books in, in how many years now? 
Seven books in four years, actually. All right. <laughs> you see, I was counting four. Because I knew in the pan- how many in the pandemic alone? In the pandemic, about four. In yes. the pandemic, it was four. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I remember going like I've, I've like looked at everyone who worked in the pandemic and how much work they did, and it was four books just in the pandemic, right? Everyone yeah, else was like accurate. making bread, and you're like, I'm going to make uh, best-selling books. <laughs> um, I, I would love to know how you switch so seamlessly between genres because you you aren't celebrated in one. You know, people love your poetry. People have fallen in love with your memoir, and then now you've switched into the world of novels, which everyone was shocked by because they were like, why, why would you do this? It's romance trash. Novels romance novels, specifically. Yes, people were like, no, romance is trash. And now you've written it, and people are like, maybe, maybe it's not trash. Maybe it's... Uh... <laughs> I'd love to know how you switch so seamlessly. I think it's because I'm a reader of every genre. So I started reading romance novels when I was a kid growing up in Nigeria, and we would smuggle them to school because they were banned for being vulgar Ooh. and inappropriate. And they were like the Harlequin, the Mills and Boons romance right, with like, you right, know, right. Fabio on the cover. <laughs> Wait, you were a fan of those? Yes. I mean, I was 13. Okay, but still. <laughs> because, okay, okay, all right, all right, still. And I really got into them as a kid. I think there's something in there about like being young and exploring your own sexuality. Um, and then I came to the States when I was 16 for college and I discovered paranormal romance. And I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Shapeshifters. <laughs> oh my Lord, that's hilarious. <laughs> and, and then I took a break from it, but I came back around like in the last couple of years and I found like the romance that was being written now was so different from what I grew up on. Yes. And it had like so much representation in it and it had so much hope in it. You know, you could read these love stories about people that society considers deviants, whether it's just because you're black or you're queer mm-hmm. or you're neurodivergent or you're in a wheelchair and they get happily ever afters. And I was like, there's a little magic in that, like a little magic of hope. I think that's what people love about your work is that it has shifted the ideas of what is quote unquote the norm and just told stories through multiple different lenses. You know, I'll start with, with your memoir. The style that you wrote it in is really interesting because it's a series of letters to people, and yet it takes us through a journey of, of, of your life. Why did you choose to do it in that way? Why didn't you choose to address the book to the reader and, and rather let us in on a world where we almost become voyeurs of your relationships? Well, so the secret is I hate writing essays because <laughs> you have to be like so serious about them and you have to do research and things like that. And I just wanted to write a book that felt like the conversations I have with my friends. Oh, I, I think like, like these are the spaces in which you're really honest because it's intimate, mm-hmm. because you're speaking without a filter, you're not worried about you know, how some random reader is going to take it. Oh, yes. And it strips down that artifice, it strips down that wall. It's a different kind of vulnerability. And also in writing in letters, it's like a citational practice for me, I think, in terms of community. Like all the ideas I have, the stories I tell, I tell them with my friends, I tell them with other people. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so to write the letters, it was a way of showing the world, like, these are the people I think with. Even if it's not people that I know personally, people who I engage with their work, these are the people I'm thinking with, these are the people I'm building worlds with, and I wanted them to be recognized as well. It, it's, it's a beautiful journey, and then to switch from, you know, from one style of book to the other. You made a fool of death with your beauty. Has, has just gotten everybody buzzing. And Michael B. Jordan is gonna be making the film version of the book, the film adaptation. You're gonna be an executive producer on it. Yes. It's a really beautiful story. Before we get into that, I'd love to know why you chose not to write the screenplay, because you, you are a writer, why, why not do that part of it as well? I have too many books to write right okay, now. Okay, okay. Oh, you know what? That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I get it. I get it. 
But also I think for black people working in Hollywood, like in film and TV, it's a different style of writing. Like I was executive producer on in development for my first book, Freshwater, mm -hmm. and we were working with FX and we were in development for like three years. And I was like, oh, this is very different from writing <laughs> books because in books you can do whatever you want yes, and no one's control, going to stop yeah, you. Your right. editor can say, well, I want you to change this. And you can be like, no, and nothing happens. But in TV, <laughs> Um, you kind of have to listen to the people oh, yeah, who are do. giving yeah. you notes. Yeah, they, they, they don't play that game. They're yeah, like, no, so, no, no, this you know, is not going to work. Yeah, I wanted to hand it over to people who actually do work in that field and kind of know how to collaborate maybe like a little that. bit better. Okay, so they, they're like the conduit between yourself and the TV. Okay, I, I get that. The story is, is, is a really beautiful, painful look at not just love. Because, you know, when I heard it was going to be a romance model, I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. And... It's it's more than like a romance model in the way novel in the way we think of it. It's a it's a story about grief, really. You know, we we follow the story of Faye in the book, who is a woman who who's lost her partner, and she's she's in this world where it's just grief. What is the point of life? Almost is is what we're experiencing in the book, and then we see her fall in love with someone. I won't spoil all of it, but that person is tied to her through grief. I'd love to know how that became a theme for a romance novel. You wouldn't think that death and grief would be something that you'd want to put in a book about love. It snuck in. You know, initially I was like, this is going to be a fluffy book. Yes. It's just going to be messy, hot girl summer. <laughs> and then I met the character and she was like, I have depths that you can only dream of. <laughs> And, and when I started writing it, it felt, it felt fitting because I think there's so much grief in the world we're living in now. Yeah. There's so much of it. And so many people are trying to figure out this question of how do I keep living throughout it? In some ways, it feels sacrilegious. Mm. Almost, it feels wrong. It feels like survivor's guilt. Yes, it does. Like there's so many people who are suffering and you're here having a hot girl summer mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how do you balance all of that? Um, so in the book, I wanted to write about this woman who's exploring that and figuring it out because at some point we do have to find a way to live. And so she's like chasing life. She's chasing joy and she's chasing happiness and she's making a lot of messy choices along the way. But I think that's, that's part and parcel of it. You know, with grief, the world doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. And that's something I wrote about like in my memoir. It's, it seems wrong the way that one world can stop when you lose someone and the rest of the world just keeps going. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter that your world just stopped. Right. And at some point you have to figure out how to blend back into it. Yeah, how you get back into the highway of life that's just moving along. The, um, the, 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 the main character in the book is also an artist. And I feel like that was inspired a little bit by, by your world because I know you are, I mean, an artist almost doesn't describe it because you, you, you like everything. You know, it's video art and it's pictures and it's, 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 it's everything. But her, her style of art is very particular because she works with, you know, and I've seen some of the images, it's, it's blood, you know, which feels very morbid. I, I wanted to know how you got into art that involves like portraits of people where there's a lot of blood in the image, but it's not sad somehow. What, what, what is the message you're trying to convey and what connected you to that art form? You know, for me, it's always something spiritual. Like one of the things I tried to do, and that was why I also wrote the memoir the way I wrote it, is to figure out how to move spirit first in a world that's always asking you to translate it hmm. into something that's more legible to you know, the mainstream or to the lay person. And, and I find that with blood, there's something so visceral about it where you can't, you can't mask it. You look at it and it's exactly 
what it appears to be. Right. It's jarring in that sense. And it's such a big part of rituals, especially for indigenous like African faith traditions. It's such a big part of rituals. So with my work, a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm creating these self portraits. I'm recreating rituals. I'm trying to find a way to like connect back to all these ways of being like before we were colonized and you know our whole cultures were stripped from right, us. Right, right, right. It, it, it really is an interesting journey and, and it's, it's fun to see you playing with that in the book and the journey that she's on and you know going into the Caribbean and I, I'll, I'll tell you all about, you guys are just gonna have to read the book. I don't wanna tell you the book because I see you guys now. Like tell us more, Trey. I'm not gonna tell you anymore. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on the show. Congratulations on yet another critically acclaimed book and I hope to see you again on the show. Thank you, it's a Thank pleasure. you so much. Thank you. you made a fool of death with your beauties available now and Dear Sentavan will be available in paperback on June 7th. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Thank you very much. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, before we go... Please consider donating to Every Town for Gun Safety. There are movements of parents, students, survivors, educators, gun owners, and concerned citizens who are fighting to end gun violence and build safer communities. Research shows that common sense public safety policies can reduce gun violence and save lives. Every Town works with local, federal, and state governments to enact and implement these policies. So if you can, please donate and help them at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there and remember, if you're desperate to have grandkids, don't sue your children. Just go to a playground and take one. There's hundreds there. Hundreds. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game. Headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy.